With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined on this wonderful edition of the podcast by my co-host Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and of the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back for another week of fabulous fun. Yeah, let's do it. Yes. Um, So we we came to you last week twice, once for some regular baseball stuff and once when our baseball world around us started crumbling with the firing of Dave Dombrowski. Uh, So so we're here for a slightly more normal week now. Um, Instead of talking to you directly about what's happened in the last week of Red Sox baseball, which is, you know, really not that interesting. Uh, There was five losses in a row, including three to the Yankees, two to the Blue Jays, and then three wins in a row including one against the Blue Jays and two against the Phillies, we decided that we would look forward a little bit to what's going to be happening with this team in the upcoming weeks. And we kind of have the ability to do that a little bit because this is a weekly format. So, you know, we only have two other shows after this one before the season's going to be over, and then we're going to be in full off-season mode. So why the hell not get started now, we figured. And um, no better way to do it than by looking at options that the team can possibly explore uh, trades for in the offseason. And this would be people that the Red Sox may consider trading off their roster in order to either cut payroll or because of redundancy or to bring guys back uh, or, or, you know, some combination of all the things. So let's start off with the idea that has been most commonly floated here about the trading Mookie bets. And we'll kind of go through each of these and go through the pros and cons of each. So the pros of trading Mookie bets uh, would be that um, there's there's great uncertainty that Mookie bets uh, will re-sign with you after this upcoming season, and he's due for an arbitration raise that will undoubtedly be more than what Nolan Arenado got in his final year of arbitration, which I believe was twenty six million. Mookie was at twenty million this year, so you can expect probably. 28 to 30 million in arbitration for him this upcoming season. So if you were to trade him, that would be a good way to save some money. And also, you would expect that trading Mookie Betts would bring back some type of substantial prospect haul. Now, the cons of trading Mookie Betts would certainly be that you don't have Mookie Betts anymore. Uh, That's a pretty big deal. You wouldn't have him for this upcoming season. And then when you trade a guy, it's very, very, very unlikely that they ever come back to your club. So that would be essentially severing ties with Mookie um, in that regard. So, Keaton, what do you think about this first option? Well, I don't like it, but it feels like... It feels like more and more that seems to be what is probably going to happen. I mean, given, and maybe that's just reacting too swiftly to uh, Dombrowski leaving and then that story from Alex Spear, which seemed like it was more sourced than it was opinion, which terrified me. And I just, I don't want to think about the Red Sox without Moogie Betts, but I think. If they really think he's going to be gone, then, I mean, I guess I can see it, but it, I don't think, it's just I'm annoyed that we're here, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the being annoyed that we are even having this discussion right now. Um, I actually, I have legitimate questions as to how big a return the prospect hall will be for one year of Mookie Betts, just because of how... The market has been over the last couple of years. It seems like with cost-controlled guys, you tend to get you know pretty big hauls. But 
for a guy like Mookie Betts, he has the unique situation of being a super high third year of arbitration player. Um, so his cost is going to be very high. There's uncertainty about him staying in his new location um, because we really don't know what he's going to do. And, you know, I don't know. There's just all these different factors that kind of make me think that the prospect return might be so light that, like, it might not even be worth it. Right. And, I mean, where he ends up going is huge. Just, for example, if he gets traded to Detroit, a team that is in no way, shape, or form competing anytime soon, he's not going to sign a long-term deal there. He's going to play out the year and go somewhere else. So Detroit's not going to offer up very much because they know they're not going to keep him. They just have him for a year. So if he goes somewhere, um, I know like we've mentioned the Braves, they probably would give up more. Still not a ton because there's no guarantee that he's going to stay there. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with it. And then the other piece to this, which we haven't really talked about, but it might be the only saving grace, and I say that with air quotes, that the Red Sox have is how free agency has gone for the top of the market the past two seasons. It's been extremely rough. Uh, We had Machado, Harper, and Jenny Martinez all not with a team until uh, spring training. So if that happens again this year, there won't be a new CBA to address these things until December 2021. So there's still two seasons to play under the current CBA. So it's not like uh, Mookie can kind of like play out next year and then there's a new CBA and then sign as a free agent under the new CBA. He's going to have to sign his next deal under the current one. Mm-hmm. So if the same thing happens again this season and we have the top free agents not signing until well into February, that may... I don't know, maybe that that gives him some pause on hitting the free agent market and if the Red Sox pony up like they should, like 380 or 360, something that puts him between Harper and Trout, then maybe he'll see that as good enough to sign off on and not hit the open market if it's still going to be just as rough as it has been the past two seasons. I think that might be the only thing we can hope for to get Mookie signed long term. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. I hadn't really thought about what Mookie thinks about that free agent market because you're right. I mean, granted, he is a better free agent who doesn't come with the defensive questions that Harper had and the inconsistency questions that Harper had and doesn't come with the character questions that Manny Machado had. And, you know, he, he's just a better player than, than both of those guys. Right. So, so maybe it would be... A unique situation for him, but I mean, those guys did sit on the market for a really long time for players that should have been snatched up, like, immediately. Like, teams should have been falling all over themselves to sign those two players, and they weren't. Yeah, I mean, he has a guy in his own dugout that went through the same thing. And, I mean, there were reports about how frustrated J.D. Martinez was, even with the Red Sox, knowing that that was where he was going to end up playing. But it took, like, two weeks longer than it should have just for whatever the hell the reason was. So, I mean, he has a guy who I presume he's close with in the dugout telling him, dude, the free agent market sucks, and it's not going to change until we have a new CBA, and you're going to have to sign your deal under this one. If they pony up, it might be worth it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't know. That's something to think about. Well, let's move on from the trade Mookie Betts thing, because I think we're both pretty against trading Mookie Betts, even if it means, uh, you know, just having him walk, I think, at this point, we're just so unsure of that return that we're both in the camp of let's keep him for the next year. But what about trading Jackie Bradley Jr.? That's something that's been floated around uh, for many years. He's going to be entering his fourth arbitration year next year. Um, he'll probably be in line for a small raise. He made about $8.5 million last year. Certainly didn't have a great season or anything. Certainly nothing compared to the season that he had last year when he won a gold glove. I don't know. I think his raise will be very small. I, I can't imagine that his salary will be like much more than $11 million next year. Yeah, I would think so. And, I mean, we know what he is. He, he basically is what he is at this point. There's no surprises with him. Uh, you know he'll have one month where he'll hit for average and power. The rest of the season he won't hit for either. But all year he'll play the best defensive center field in the majors. So... 
how much is that worth? I think you'd also basically, I think you have to weigh that against what the Red Sox options are in the outfield because it's there's nothing that they can do internally to supplement that. They would have to go out onto the free agent market, and I have not looked at who are some potential outfielders, but if they do trade him, they have two options with Benintendi and Mookie who they could put in center instead. Right. So it's not like they are missing a center fielder. They would just need another outfielder, and I don't like the idea of uh, – Say JD opts in and then he's our permanent right fielder. I don't no, feel great you don't about want, that. You don't want him in the outfield. Um, I I agree with you that there's not a lot of good internal options, and certainly I think more than any other outfield position, I think it's center field where you want to keep JBJ in his elite defense. Um, that benefits the team just so much, and he covers up for a lot. You know, he makes it okay for you to play subpar fielders in other positions at different times, especially when you're on the road. He covers just so much ground. And you can enjoy him so much more as a player and being on the Red Sox if you don't expect him to do anything at all at the plate. Right. And he's not exactly like spring chicken anymore. Next year is going to be his age 29 season. I think teams know what he is. I mean, over the last three seasons, Jackie Bradley has had an 88 WRC plus, a 90 WRC plus, and an 88 WRC plus. So, we know that he's a below average hitter and an excellent fielder. I just don't think the return for one year of JBJ would be worth even close to what he's worth in the outfield next year. Even if the team like isn't a true contender, he's still worth more to them as a body who's durable and going to play every day and have elite defense. Yeah, I think he obviously is the starting center fielder with the Red Sox, but I think in a lot on a lot of other teams, he would be a fourth outfielder, uh, defensive replacement, uh, and maybe play every third or fourth game. But because there's no depth and the rest of the Red Sox lineup is so good, he doesn't need to be a 270 hitter, have any of that stuff together, then I think he's, he's worth more to the Red Sox than he would be worth to anybody else. And the return that you would get really wouldn't be worth letting him go. So just keep him, ride out the defense, and and start over again next year or the year after. All right, so let's get to our next one here. The idea is to trade Mookie Betts. Now, Mookie Betts' contract situation is as follows. Uh, he was in his last year of team control this year. Next year, he'll be entering his first year of arbitration, and he won't be a free agent until 2023. So he'll have you mean three Benning? more years. Yeah, Ben Attendee. Uh, who did I say? Mookie Betts. Ah, my bad. Uh, Andrew <laughs> Benintendi. Now it's I've you got, this time. I have got I've got Betts very much on the brain these days. <laughs> um, yeah. So the idea is Benintendi, who's got three arb years. We paid him uh, seven hundred and seventeen thousand and five hundred dollars this year. Next year, he's probably going to be at least a $10 million player in his first year of arbitration, I think, with the seasons that he's had before. I mean, he had a bad year this year by his standards with 13 home runs and 10 stolen bases, um, but he still batted, you know, 271, 347, 443. Over the last three years, though, he has been very valuable. He was a 2020 guy in 2017, nearly a 2020 guy last year. Um, and if you look at his splits from this year, um, ben Intendi was much better later in the season. Um, where is it? It was July and August. He batted uh, 301, uh, 292, and he did have a 312 in June. It was really – he's scuffled now in September and October, but he was much better in the second half by and large. Um, ben Intendi would bring back a haul. He's 25 years old. He's a left-handed bat. You know, he's he's got arguably a, a 70 grade hit tool. Um, a guy who the Red Sox had been reticent to trade uh, in the past when teams have asked about him. This is actually the idea that I like the most uh, is trading Benintendi, who's going to start getting expensive next year. Um, I think that the Red Sox can find a replacement left fielder. Um, and I think that out of all the guys in the outfield, the one you want to try and hang on to the most is Mookie Betts and trading Benintendi would also go a long way to restocking the farm system. 
I do think his defense is a little bit wasted in left field at Fenway Park. Um, so this would be the move that I would entertain out of trading any of the three outfielders. Do you think he's going to be that much in arbitration? I don't know if it'll be 10, but I at least think it's going to be like 8. I thought 5 or 6. Maybe. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm misjudging things, but... I mean, just for a a bit of a frame of reference, uh, in um, Mookie Betts' first arbitration, he got 10.5, and and he was coming off a second-place finish in the MVP voting after hitting 31 homers and 26 steals, and that got him 10.5. Yeah, you might be right. It might be more like six for him. Yeah. But even if it is six, I mean, that's six that a team with the finances that the Red Sox have, there's, it's not great. And we have to admit that, like, he's going to bring back a way bigger package than Mookie or JBJ would bring back from prospect standpoint with three years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm on board with you. I think uh, if their intention is really to to trade someone, to bring someone back, he's definitely the guy to do it. I mean, we were talking about, what was it, Devers for Machado straight up at one point, like a couple years ago. And I feel like Benintendi's at the same point in his career that Devers was at the time. Still, I mean, he had some exposure to the major leagues, had a decent season, and uh, was still had a bunch of team control. And... I would assume, I mean, maybe a player of Machado's caliber is a little out of the reach of Benny, but someone that is, like, that good and has a a shorter contract that could help the team now, that would make sense. Yeah, I don't know if they'd really be looking. So, if I imagine, if I imagine them trading Benintendi, I don't know that I really imagine them getting future value. The way that I really, or the present value, I really imagine it as, like, Kind of like a, a situation where they're getting back a bunch of top prospects, like the Jared Kalenic type trade situation or something like that, where they're bringing back a bunch of guys who have future value and who are controllable. And the way I imagine them dealing with left field if they were to trade Benny is to play someone like Chavis or Dahlbeck there next year, someone that they have already on their roster. That's interesting. That might make a little bit more sense if Chavis, Dahlbeck, one of those guys goes out there. Because I was thinking about if you're trading Benintendi and getting future value, then that would signal to me that they don't feel great about their chances of competing next year. Right, and I think that there's a legitimate concern that next year with how banged up the rotation is that there are a lot of question marks there. And also if you trade Benintendi... In the off season, you get rid of the six million or whatever that he is going to be owed in arbitration, and you replace him with a cost controlled guy who's making like five hundred to seven hundred thousand next year. That's six million more that you could stay at the same salary level as you were going to be at with Benintendi that you can then throw at starting pitching next year. So it can kind of help you allocate your resources a little bit better, uh, in my opinion. I don't disagree. But I think if so, as a standalone, do you think so? Here, here, I guess here's how I'm thinking about it. I wouldn't expect them to trade Benintendi as a standalone move. I would think that it would fall in line with either JD opting out or trading Mookie. Hmm. See, I imagine it as potentially something that they do if. JD does opt out. Uh, I agree with that part, but I think that it would be something that they do instead of trading Mookie. I think that it would all be part of a grander scheme to try and get rid of future payroll so you can keep Mookie because Benny is going to be significantly more pricey after next season too, entering his second and third years of arbitration. Right. So that's why I feel like they, or I may have said that backwards. I envision it as a standalone and not, um, something that's in tandem because if they, uh, if JBJ or JBJ, Jack, uh, JD Martinez, Jesus Christ, opts out, <laughs> I would think that they would want to keep him on the roster. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree too. Yeah, if if, if JD Martinez opts out, they're probably they probably don't feel like they have to trade Benintendi, and if they trade Mookie Betts, they're certainly not trading Benintendi. So I think right. that it's 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 so sort it, of a question. It would be like if JD opts in and they don't want to trade Mookie, how else can they save money while they can trade Benintendi and agree. restock the farm? But then, so if Martinez opts in and we just play the game that we've got. Mookie on the roster for the next year, mm-hmm. then trading him for future pieces, I don't think makes sense. Um, I disagree. Because then you can still try and re-sign Mookie Betts at the end of the season. And really, the difference between Benintendi and whoever you run out there in left field next year is probably not going to be the difference between, I don't know, making the winning the world series or, or not winning the world series or, or whatever the thing is. Like, I, I think that there's some merit to that, but I don't know. I just don't think, I, I just don't know if Benintendi is impact enough on the field right now um, for them to not consider trading. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I do agree with that. But I also think that if let's see the the year out difference really kind of changes the Mookie thought because again like if they if they think Mookie's going to walk at the end of next year then they would probably want Benintendi still to be on the roster but it, I mean, you won't know that until next off season and he's gone. And you could also, you know, if you were to trade Benintendi, if JD opts in and you keep Mookie and you trade Benintendi and you start Dahlbeck in left, let's just say, um, you could just see how the year plays out and then try and re-sign Mookie. Or if for some reason you've found yourself disastrously out of it at the All-Star break and wanted to try and explore trading Mookie at the All-Star break for, you know, whatever, if you still weren't able to negotiate with him and your team was out of it, then you could have the ability to do that then. Trade Mookie then. Yep. That is true. Let's uh, let's move on from this Benny idea, though. Um, do you think that the team will try and move on from David Price? So David Price in 2020, 2021-2022 um, is... Um, owed $32 million, 31 uh, for the life of his contract as it stands on the competitive balance tax, but the, the team will actually cut him a check for $32 million next year. He is owed that for those three seasons. Um, he's extremely expensive. So if you traded him, you'd probably have to eat, I don't know, half the money. Um, but that still might be a more efficient cost-cutting move, trading a guy like David Price and eating half the cash than it would be to trade a young player like Andrew Benintendi who would save you $6 million. Yeah, I think that's the issue is you're not going to be able to trade him without eating money. And I guess it's how much of it you would end up having to eat. I mean, you're right. If you only have to pay half of it and so it's only $16 million a year instead of $32 million a year, I mean, sixteen million is a pretty significant amount of capital for the Red Sox' current situation. So, I think they will try, but I think it'll ultimately be unsuccessful. Yeah, I, I would expect them to try to shop David Price in the off season, um, and I don't know that they won't be, won't be able to get it done. I think that David Price still has a lot of cachet around the league and especially if if other teams think that like Dombrowski did that his whole cis thing isn't a big deal and on a ratio basis he has been pretty good over the last two seasons um I don't know maybe maybe teams would take a chance at him and David Price at 16 million for a team is a lot more palatable than David Price at 32 and I think not having him would be more palatable for the Red Sox as well I think the only team that makes sense is Washington. And they might not need to... Uh, I don't know. They're, 
their contracts are a little weird. Maybe they would need to eat some. But if Steven Strasburg opts out of his deal yeah. and goes somewhere else, then they have a hole, and they're still very much competing. And Price would be able to fill that hole pretty sufficiently for them to keep that their contention window open. Um, I don't. I know they defer and front load, and they do all sorts of weird things. So I have absolutely no sense of what their financials might be uh, with Strasburg or without. But they may be. They may be a team that sees Price as an option. See, I actually think that there are a ton of teams that would see Price as an option um, going into next year. And I agree with you on Washington, but I also think that um, the Mets might consider this. The Phillies might consider this. I think that the Cubs could consider this. The Brewers, I think, are certainly a big time in consideration for David Price. And the other uh, team that stands out is the San Diego Padres, who just have so much prospect capital and are still looking for sort of veteran-y type guys to kind of turn around their their situation and get their ship pointed in the right direction. Um, I think any of those clubs, basically I think it'll, it'll be a National League team if he is traded, um, but any of those clubs make sense to me. Yeah, I guess I do also agree with you on Philadelphia and San Diego. I don't know if I agree on the Mets and Milwaukee, but I guess, I mean, those three, that's, that's enough interest to... To make a move, but I still, I still don't think it'll end up being successful. In my, in just my opinion. Personally, I would love that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be great. All right, so the last one here that we'll talk about is uh, trading Eovaldi. Do you think there will be any market <laughs> for a seventeen million dollar a year Nate Eovaldi, who you know down the stretch actually has looked pretty good? Uh, over his last few starts, he's starting to get stretched back out. Um, he is going to be under contract in 2020, 2021, and 2022 at $17 million per. You think there'll be in a market for his services? So he's interesting because there are questions about whether he was going to be a starter or a reliever last offseason when he ultimately signed to be a starter here. So I think it would depend on how whatever team he gets traded to also views it. Yeah, I think that teams would trade for him to be a starter, and I don't think his deal is ridiculous. I actually think that this deal is one where like you probably wouldn't have to eat any money. You'd probably just get some type of decent return um, because there were other teams competing for his services, and I think he did get similar offers. Um, and you could make an argument pretty easily to me that Nady Evaldi would be more valuable next season than David Price would be. Yeah, I think I agree on both counts. Um, this seems like one that would be much easier to move than Price and probably would have a bit more of a market. I would think, yeah, I think if they end up trading a pitcher, it'll probably end up being Evaldi. Hmm. Which, it wouldn't be so bad to start or uh, to move a pitcher because of how well Eduardo Rodriguez has done here to close out the year. Uh, we were talking about before we started recording, just kind of how, what his splits have looked like right now. And his second half is a 2.40 ERA, 83 strikeouts and 82 in the third innings. And even if you just shrink that down to the last three starts that he's had in uh, September, He's got 19 and two-thirds innings and has a 0.92 ERA, 29 strikeouts. That is top-notch. And I think what's more impressive is the fact that he's doing this and he's pitching this well at a level of innings that he has never reached before. And he's well beyond his uh, career high mark now. I mean, he's closing and he might have a chance to get pretty close to 200 here which would be 70 innings more than he has ever pitched before. And that's, I mean, that's just wild. And uh, yeah. that it's getting better and better when he's reaching this territory is a great sign for his future. If, which is always the question with him, if he can stay healthy for a full season. Yeah, I mean, he's had one, two, three, four, five of his best game scores of the entire season within like his last seven starts. Um, he's been absolutely on fire 
his most latest gem, um, 12 strikeout, one earned run gem against the Phillies was the best game score of his career. So he's uh, he's looking pretty great right now. Yeah, and I think that if we have presumably healthy sale and healthy price. Oh, actually, we didn't even think about how uh, Price's wrist would impact this trade market if they think that's something that will linger. That could be a factor. Yeah, we did. We touched on that. Oh, I totally missed it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I My talked bad. about it. You, you, you didn't listen when I was talking about it, but I did talk about it. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. All right. Never mind. Scratch that. We totally talked about it. I totally remember that. Good call. Um, yeah. I mean, the Evaldi. I mean, uh, not Evaldi. Erod is just so impressive, though, the way that he's pitched. And I think this is maybe. The, Aside from Devers' crazy breakout, this is the most unexpected thing that happened this year. It might even be more unexpected. What about Christian Vasquez? That is also unexpected. I don't know. Rank these three for me in terms of <laughs> yeah, how unexpected good. they are. Um, well, see, was Devers unexpected? Because this is kind of the player we thought he would be. But it all happened at once. It was not a Xander Bogart situation (laughs) where, like, Xander would get better at one thing every year and then take a step back in another thing and then finally, like, put them together. Like, remember that? It was, like, Xander hit for power, then he hit for average, then he, like... Then he had a broken wrist. (laughs) Then he had a broken wrist. And and then he kind of did both, but then he fell off in the second half. And then finally, like, he reached Super Saiyan level 10 and was able to, like you know, hit for average, hit for power, and stay on the field all year and, like, do it in the second half. And now that's Xander, and he's awesome. But, like, Devers literally <clears throat> went from shit show to one of the best players in baseball in a month. Like, his April yeah. sucked. And then all of a sudden he was, like, MVP for the rest of the season. I mean, we were even talking on this podcast. Like, our, we were, like, legitimate – legitimately thinking that the Red Sox had a reason to send him down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Legit. And, yeah, okay. I guess that is surprising. Um, see, I think the most surprising part is not that Erod is pitching this well. It's that he stayed healthy for an entire year. Because I think he's he's shown this ability, just not for extended periods of time, because he always, always ends up getting hurt. So I think... The bigger surprise with him is that he stayed healthy for an entire year and not that he's being this this good, I guess. But I would not have expected. Yeah, I guess I would say Devers, Vasquez, Erod. So with, with Erod, excuse me, I'm drinking a beer and, you know, I burped. Um, <laughs> what kind of but, beer? Uh, it is a uh, it is a tangerine tart from Treehouse. It is delicious. Ooh, yeah. Um, but anyhow, um, we did expect him to get over his knee thing, or we we didn't expect. We hoped that he would be over his knee thing because remember this past offseason, Erod finally addressed that chronic knee problem that he had. He had been trying to work through this knee issue that kept bothering him over the last few seasons um, through physical therapy, but he finally got surgery on it and actually like mechanically corrected the issue that he was having with his kneecap. And holy shit, I mean, that surgeon deserves some sort of bonus from the Red Sox for the work <laughs> that he did on that knee because that thing has been rock solid the entire year. And we know how fragile Erod was with whenever he felt anything that was slightly off with his knee, his his pitching would absolutely go into the toilet. So to see him confident and pitching on that thing all season long, I mean, that's just huge. Yeah, it is. So how would you rank those three in terms of surprise? Um, I guess I would go Devers, Erod, Vasky for me. Um, and, and I think the reason why is because like, I did not expect Devers to – play excellent defense and hit like an MVP for most of the year like he did after he's had April where he's chucking the ball all over the place and looking terrible on at the plate and then 
you know, he's had a couple rough spots defensively throughout the year. And one that comes to mind is against the Yankees this past Sunday, which was terrible. Um, but by and large, like he played a good three and a half months of excellent defense for him. And he's made some outstanding plays. So, so that surprised me that it all happened at the same time. Not that I didn't think he could get there. I did, but I just didn't think that he'd do that. Erod surprised the hell out of me because he's gotten better as the year has gone on. That is certainly not something I expected. With Vasquez, I guess I'm a little bit less surprised because of two things. First of all, I thought Vasquez was a much better player than he showed last year, so I was I was looking for some positive regression. And then the second thing is the you know happy fun ball that just bounces out of the the ballpark. His 20 home run season. Um, when he had 10 without that happy fun ball is just like, yeah, it's cool. But at the same time, like, you know, everybody has 20 home runs this year. Not to take anything away from, from Vasky, who's had an outstanding season. It wasn't just the power, though, but his batting average is very, very good. But, yeah, I think a lot of what happens with Vasquez is because of the ball. <clears throat> But I don't, I don't necessarily take that away from him because everybody's playing with the same ball. But just the fact that he's been able to be consistent, um, his walk rate has increased ever so slightly. He's kept his K rate in check and hit for a much better average uh, at a position that I was expecting to get absolutely nothing at. Yeah, and I think he, he does feel empowered by Alex Cora, too, playing him as much as Alex does play him. I think that's been huge yeah. for him. And, and being a year healthier, too. I mean, we forget that last year he was playing his first year back from Tommy John. Yep. And Swihart died so Vasquez could live. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to talking about some of the club's uh, free agents to be next year. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about these guys briefly and uh, see whether or not we think that they will be back. So the three that I'm assuming are going to be gone for financial reasons or for performance reasons or for health reasons are Rick Porcello, Mitch Moreland, and Steve Pierce. Do we agree that those three are definite gone? Yes. Okay. So then the next biggest one that we need to talk about is will J.D. Martinez opt out? What say you, Keaton DeRocher? This one is a lot harder because... Um, you know, we operated under most of the season thinking he was going to be gone or uh, opt in because he wasn't performing up to his usual standards and was having some on and off back issues, which obviously don't help. But he closed the second half really, really good. And so I'm, I think I'm much closer to 50-50. I think I'm 55-45. He opts in, but I I'm, would be much less surprised now if he opted out because of how he's finished the season, and he's basically excuse me basically been back to his just normal expectations and normal self here in the second half. So I think, although, see the the same factor. Does he want to go through another offseason like the last one that he did? Because that is that is tough. I th- I think I'm leaning he's going to opt in. I think he's going to opt in as well. Um, I think that J.D. Martinez recognizes all the things that were said about him two years ago when he was a free agent. And all those things that people said about him from durability standpoint and from not being able to play defensively and blah, 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 are amplified by the fact that he's two years older now and that he spent three different stints on the IL or being day-to-day with back injuries this year. Um, As great a hitter as he is, I think he has a very good contract right now. And I expect that J.D. Martinez will try and work with whoever the new GM is to simply restructure that deal um, in in a way that kind of allows him to save face for not opting out and allows the team to maybe be slightly more flexible with how they're paying him over the life of his newly negotiated deal. That makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's move on then to... 
will Brock Holt be back? So first of all, Brock Holt um, was paid $3.575 million this year. He's a free agent next year. The way he's played this year, he is certainly going to have teams lined up um, to pay him much more than that. Probably a multi-year deal of some nice sum of money. Um, but Brock Holt's stats have also showed that he's a much better player when he's not playing full-time than when he is. But he may also want to try that, being a full-time player, and get paid somewhere. So this one befuddles me. What do you think? I think he will be back. What do you think a Brock Holt deal looks like for the Red Sox? I think it's... Four years, sixteen million. Four years, six. Holy shit! You think Brock Holt's getting a four-year deal? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there, man. <laughs> oh man. Okay. He's uh he's thirty-one years old. There's no way he's getting a four-year deal. Sixteen. I mean, the money. The money seems right for me for for what would be a four-year deal. Uh, Holy shit, that would surprise me. Um, I think the maximum they'd go would be three. I think he's going to get two years, $10 million to stay with the Red Sox. Yeah, that's probably much more realistic. If he comes back. But I don't think he's coming back. Why not? Because... The new GM is going to want to save some dough. And you should not be paying your bench players $10 million over two years, even if he is like clubhouse Jesus. Because you know what? Xander's pretty damn good in the clubhouse too. He is. It's true. So as much as I love Brock Holt and what he's done for this city, I think Brock Holt be sent packing. Albeit with like the nicest thank you, and he will always be like <laughs> super welcome here. Yeah, agreed. But no, you don't agree. I agree that he'll be super welcome here. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Chris Owings. I have no. no no concept as to what he would make here, but if we think that Brock Holt is staying. Like if you think that Brock Holt's staying, you probably don't think Owings is. Correct. Um, I don't even think that if Brock Holt doesn't stay, that they sign Owings. So I also agree. I think yeah. he's gone. Yeah, gone, gone, gone. See ya, Owings. Um, what about Sandy Leone? He's an interesting case because Sandy Leone is going to be in his what is this is third year of arbitration next year yeah fourth year he had a fourth year of arbitration and he made two and a half million dollars as a backup catcher this year do you think that they are going to tender that man a contract i think it all depends on if chris sale says he cannot pitch without sandy leone and if he says he cannot then they will and he will be catching chris sale every day if not they obviously feel well enough with vasquez as the everyday catcher and some schmuck is the backup. Yeah, I think Sandy Leone is gone. I cannot see them paying a backup more than $2.5 million or $2.5 million again, even for Chris Sale's personal preferences. Juan Centeno is probably just fine as your backup, and he's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper. Should bring Swihart back. Man, that would be wonderful for me. Um, all right, next guy, Gorky Hernandez. This one is sort of interesting because Gorky Hernandez uh, was brought up uh, to sort of have him on the roster. He does have two more arbitration seasons after this, and it seems like the Red Sox are kind of positioning him to be a bench guy next year. Yeah, I think the team control that he still has left uh, makes a difference, and they're, I mean, they're not going to be wild costs for him. So I think he, he is a low-cost bench option. Actually kind of makes some sense. 
Yeah, the the thing with him is he's got no options, so he'll have to be on the major league bench next year. Um, but I think that that's kind of fine because the Red Sox have nothing down in the minor leagues in terms of outfielders who are ready. Yep. Especially if you're moving on from Holt, that would be sort of a lock. And even if you aren't, you'd probably be that. Josh Smith and Ryan Weber. Both of these guys are going to be entering their first years of arbitration next year. Do you think that either of these guys is tendered a contract? Nope. Get out of here. I agree. The Red Sox, if they are rich in anything, it is mediocre, high, uh, minors, relief pitching. Of all the meaties, they're the ochreist. <laughs> that is fair. I agree with you. So to summarize, um, I guess, out of that group of players who the, the Red Sox may trade, who do you think is the most likely? Devaldi. And I think it's Benintendi. I hope you are wrong. I hope it's Price. <laughs> yeah. If we're hoping and... <laughs> It'd be great if Price could go and someone could take his entire contract. Yes, that'd be wonderful. Let's get to some listener questions. Uh, first one comes from Pat. He says, in the worst <laughs> case scenario, what's the minimum return you'd want for Mookie? For me, it would be two top 50 prospects. And I don't think you'll get that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, on the, I'm in the same boat. That probably feels like what I would hope to get, but probably wouldn't. So let's let's like just kind of see what that looks like for a second. So I'm going to name you some random top 50 prospects, okay? And you're going to tell me how you would feel. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Like, let's just preface this, that these, are, these top 50 prospects are not going to be like top 25 guys probably you're probably looking at two guys between 25 and 50 right i would, for I, would bets. I would trade mookie straight up for luis uh or luis roberts uh hell yeah um what about all right so if if a team offered you let's just say the a's offered you kyle wright and their next prospect here Kyle Wright and Shay Langoliers for Mookie Betts would you take that no but I, I wouldn't it, either if that's the best that's out there and I'm dead set on trading him then I guess yeah but no I don't feel great about that what if that same team offered you Drew Waters and Kyle Wright yeah. Yeah, I would too. Let's throw a couple more prospect packages together. Um, what if do, 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 the San Diego Padres offered you CJ Abrams and Luis Patino? Ooh, I do like Patino a lot. I would think about it, but again, I don't feel great about it. I would do that. All right. And last one here. A team that is always, always looking for outfielders and never gets them. Uh, the Giants. They decide to offer you Marco Luciano and Hunter Bishop. I would ask for Luciano and Dubon. Okay. Um, I would rather have Hunter Bishop than Dubon. But I respect your Dubonness. Yeah, bring him back. Um, yeah. So that's the type of return that we would be talking about for those guys. All right, next one here, Kaysen Sarois, who has now become a regular question asker. So thank you, Kaysen. Says, "Am I crazy for thinking that Taylor, Walden, Hernandez, Barnes, Workman, and maybe even Lakins is a good foundation for a bullpen?" If we bring in a legit closer. 
No, you are not crazy. If those are the bridge to an elite closer, I feel way better about the Red Sox bullpen. Yes, uh, I agree. I would think that that would be a very good bullpen if, like, Will Smith was the backstop of that group. Yeah. However, I do think that with the Red Sox being in a little bit of a cost-cutting mode, I do think that one option that Matt and I talked about on the Locked on Red Sox podcast is leaving Brandon Workman and Barnes as your ninth and eighth inning guys and then bringing in two more quality, like seventh, eighth inning type arms to go kind of along with Barnes and just lengthening out the unit from the seventh, eighth on um, with with guys who won't be nearly as pricey as, as someone like a Will Smith because we've seen Brandon Workman really thrive in that role as closer this year. He seems to have the mental aptitude for it. So I asked you on the last pod mm-hmm. if you would feel good about Workman being the closer going into next year and mm-hmm. you, you were like a absolutely fucking not. Are you you changing your tune? Um, Well, let me, first of all, get plausible deniability here, Keaton. I don't remember that, so, you know, that's how my brain works right now. Um, I'm going to go back and pull the audio and drop it in this segment right here. (laughs) You pull the audio. Um, But, yeah, yeah, I do feel better about it. And I think that, like, the more that I've watched him in the role, um, and that, that could have been, I don't know, was that last week or a couple weeks ago? It was either, it was recent. It was one of the last two, I think. Let me just say, if it was more than two weeks ago, um, I've seen a lot more of Workman be dominant. That like, I now believe he has the cojones to do it, and I think that he would be relatively inexpensive. So I'd rather I'd rather have him be the closer than like pay up the ass for someone when you have so many other questions on the team. I I still wouldn't feel great about it. But, dude, the cojones. I mean, I appreciate a fine pair of cojones, but (laughs) I want a bigger pair. All right. That's fair. I mean, go big or go home. Uh, Let's move on to a different bullpen question. We're going to skip around these ones a little bit. But Get Smarf 2018 has a question about what should Darwinson's role be next season. I think the same as this season. Like, he's a quality 7th, 8th inning guy. I think he's a high-leverage bullpen arm. Yeah, I think I agree. I think Hernandez's role should be the one where he you know, he comes in at all different times, and that, that's really like the floater that Cora loves. That should be his role. And he should continue to be a multi-inning guy. If they need yeah. him to be. Yeah, I, I've been so impressed with Darwinson's progress. It's just if they if they try to move him out of the bullpen, that would be just a massive mistake. I agree. Um, all right. Blair Landry asks are the Red Sox considering trading David Price to make financial room for Mookie and or JD? Blair, we talked about that already. We should have mentioned you when we talked about it, but yes. We really hope that they do that. That makes so much sense. Yes, I think they will try. But, again, I don't think they will be successful. I hope they will be successful, but I don't think that they will be. I don't know. There was always the uh, the the uh, Mark, uh, the Mark the Prado trade. What the hell is his, last, his first name? Mar- Martin Prado? Yeah. Who am I thinking of? Not Prado. Punto. Nick Punto. That's what I. That's what I meant. The Nick Punto trade. So sometimes it is possible to shed all your money. Although Adrian Gonzalez was really good at that time. I was gonna say that there's a little different circumstances. So was Josh Beckett. He still had some left in the tank. Yeah. All right. Last question of the night. Big stash. Great name. Who's your top choice to replace Dave Dombrowski? I still think it's Eddie Romero for me. I like Eddie Romero a lot, uh, and I think that he would be a fine choice. My favorite choice right now would be David Forst. 
but I don't know you can convince him to come out and take that job. Were you disappointed that the Diamondbacks extended Mike Hazen? No. I didn't expect Mike Hazen, to be honest. But I, I the reason why I want Forced, who is the A's GM right now under Billy Bean, is just that I want somebody who thinks differently to come into this organization. And I think that with Dombrowski, you had somebody who thought differently in a way that the team really needed uh, him to think differently at that time. And that was someone who was going to come in and consolidate assets and be less prospect huggy. But I think that David Forst is similar in a lot of ways to the team that the Red Sox already have in place. A lot of the guys who we've talked about, like O'Halloran and and uh, and your boy Romero and and uh, what's his name there, um, Zach uh, Scott. I think it's Zach Scott. Um, but also, like he has the A's mindset. He's been in Oakland for eighteen years, and I think that. This ownership group has always been intrigued by Billy Bean, and Billy's not going anywhere with part ownership of the A's now. So this this would be the next best thing. That's an interesting one. I had not heard that scenario. But, I mean, not that I think it's realistic, like you also said, but that was a name that I had not heard anyone bring up yet. So kudos. Um, I have to give Jen McCaffrey credit for being the first. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. She's never mind, I take it all back. Always, well, yeah, she's always cat. better at stuff than me. So Well, you know, it's a copycat in its highest form of, of flattery, right? Sure. Yeah. Whatever, Jake. Um <laughs> that <laughs> that does it for our podcast today. Any closing thoughts before we go on and get out of here, Keaton? Nope, just waiting for the slow death to be final. Do you have any idea what the tragic number for the Red Sox is right now? I for them to be officially out? do not. But if you give me one moment where I stall in just a, a really terrible way and talk about nothing while I'm filling time. I clicked on the wrong button. Nope, never mind. <laughs> I, I mean, you can, you can edit this out, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could. Or, uh, you know, fuck it. I'm leaving it in. This is exactly how the Red Sox season is playing out. So <laughs> Don't there punish the people more than they actually need to be punished. Did you find it? No, because I clicked on the wrong thing. All right, here we go. Here it is. Nine. Oh, that's much less uh, small than I was hoping for. Last time, <laughs> last time it was twelve, and now it's nine. This isn't going down fast enough. God damn it! Just put the bullet in the head of this season, please. Well, it's because they just went on a three-game win streak, and Tampa um, is like lost two out of four. So, I think I honestly think it's actually like, well, not that it would. Well, I guess it could grow. They clip kept closing. I don't know. Fucking terrible. Yeah. Well, with that, and with my. Uh, my last burp tonight. Um, we will go on and, and, and get out of here. We hope you did enjoy the podcast, and you know we're trying to make a make lemonade with the lemons we've been given here, and uh, we hope we successfully did that. So if you enjoyed the podcast, please go rate and review us, and follow us on Twitter. You can follow the the uh, the me at Dev Jake, and you can follow the Keaton at the Spoken Keats. And you can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. So thank you very much for tuning in and the download, and we'll be with you next week. Bye.